Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And if ever you have thought, how do all those companies get that hockey stick growth, right? Go from here to there. Well, today we're going to talk with Jeff Perkins. Jeff is not only the CMO currently of Greenlight Guru, but Jeff, you've been a CMO three different times. You've been the CEO of a company. And importantly for the conversation we're going to have today, you've gone through and helped lead the hockey step growth a number of times at startups that you've been at. So maybe give us a little bit more perspective or color commentary on your background, and then we'll kind of get into some of your insights. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. Yeah, I've been very fortunate in my career to have uh, joined up with several rocket ships where, um, you know, we just, we just grew like crazy and it's been super fun. And I wish I could say I, I, I did everything. I did all these things and that's why we grew. But, you know, sometimes when you're at a very small company and you grow hundred percent a year, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's not that hard as long as you have the product market fit. Um, and so, uh, but I, I have learned a lot, uh, across my journeys, uh, on how to, how to grow businesses. And I, I fancy myself as sort of a, a growth marketer. So I'm not the, you know, let's, let's eke out a half a share of, you know, market share every year. I'm the, Hey, let's, let's jump in and figure out how to 10 X this company over the next few years. And, and that's what I've really become good at. Well, good. Well, it's a, uh, you know, growth marketer, performance marketer, brand marketer, right? You know, we're content marketers. We're, we're called a lot of different things, but in the bottom line is we're, we're all called to be focused on revenue, growth in the business. And that's what you've, you've become known for. And so I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing. Let's just start out right away. Um, you want to talk about the customer journey, right? And how essential that is to understand and, and why. Maybe kind of root us with that. And then we're going to get into mm -hmm. a couple of things that might even be a little bit controversial in some spheres, uh, but maybe start us out that way. Sure. What I find is that sometimes marketers will come into an organization new and they'll come in with their playbook of this is how you do marketing. And I'm going to I'm going to install this marketing automation tool and we're going to work on this messaging and then we're going to spend money in these channels and you're going to see the numbers tick up. And, and that's, yeah, you know, there are a fair amount of marketers who feel like they have the, the formula figured out uh, so they could just take whatever they did in one company and jump to the next company and do that same thing. And I found uh, that a lot of times those marketers will get fired fairly quickly um, by making those bad assumptions that what worked at one company or in one industry will transfer to your next company or your next industry. So what I've always found is that when you started a new company uh, and you're looking at everything you couldn't do, you could do, the first step is really to do a, a deep dive with that customer journey. I like to call it kind of an autopsy, uh, like an autopsy. So you, uh, and, and the way to conduct the autopsy is to maybe talk to the last 10 customers that your company signed. And you don't really need to talk to them a lot about, uh, you know, why they chose you versus the competition. I mean, there's, there's value there, but what you really want to try to diagnose as a marketer was what started the journey, what got you thinking, Hey, I need to buy this piece of software or I need to buy this service. So what, 
what was the key starting point for the journey? And then as you went through the journey, what were the steps you took? And then what influenced the factors throughout the journey? And at the end, why did you choose our company? And really, you have to get deep with these customers. And you have to really try to understand all those influence touch points along the way. And especially from a marketing perspective, what, what were the things that got them in? What were the things they read? What were the things they were exposed to? And then as they were along the journey, did they interact with other pieces of content or did they attend a webinar or did they talk to a current customer or did they read a G2 review? And so you got to get that autopsy right. And the output of that autopsy should really inform what you do from a marketing perspective. And, and that's really a key thing. So before you start on ripping out the marketing automation platform or revamping all the, all the messaging on the website, figure out the customer journey first, because that should inform everything you do as a marketing leader. And that will get you to the results you're looking for. And here's what I love about that is, you know, Gartner's talked about this in terms of, you know, the CMOs today, they need to be more like the chief customer officer, right? And and really understanding the insights of the customer. What you're talking about, though, is like you started out by saying, you know, hey, why did you pick us? And you're like, what are the problems you're trying to address in the market? And like, there's tons that we need to know about our customers. But you want to know the decision-making points, what led them to the company, because those are actually the places where you're going to try to put marketing emphasis. And when we had our, our prep call, you actually gave me a story about, you know, one of the companies and you found some really great kind of niche magazines, right, that they were they were consuming. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think that gives some, you know, a, a storyline, a narrative to what you're talking about, because you're not recommending this just for the sake of recommending it, right? It's going to inform then the actual marketing channels that you're going to use and where you're going to put emphasis on. Exactly. So I, I joined this company called QA Symphony. And when I joined, it was actually my first startup company I had worked in. Um, so we had very little budget from a marketing perspective. So we had to be very scrappy and resourceful with uh, the money we had. We were about a million ARR when I when I joined. And we grew that to 20 million over uh, about a two and a half year period. So it was really rapid growth. But when I joined, I I did what I talked to you about before. I, I had interviews with about 10 of our customers who had recently signed. And I really talked to them about, well, what what influenced your buying process? What got you, you know, thinking you needed a new solution? And what brought you to us as one of your shortlist options? And the consistency of the answers across those 10 customers was, was amazing. They all said, well, I've known I've needed a new tool for years. Um, and, and, you know, we were in budget planning season and the time was right. And so I went to Google and I searched, what's the best test case management tool? That was the business QA Symphony was in, test case management. What's the best test case management tool? And up came four different niche blogs, all rating the top test case management tools. And so I said, oh, that's interesting. All 10 of these customers were using Google but they weren't going to paid ads on Google. They were going to these niche blog sites that had these lists of the top test case management tools. And this wasn't G2, right? This, these were uh, softwaretestingclub.com and softwaretestinghelp.com, really, really niche blogs written by software testers for software testers. 
And so I went to these blogs and I looked at, did some research on, okay, what's going on on these blogs that's influencing people. And these blogs were just very good lists of, you know, all the test case management options. And so if you were going to build a short list of software to look at, this is a pretty good place to start for you, right? If you're a, if you're a prospect and all of our prospects were going to these four sites, basically. And so we looked at these sites and we said, well, it's interesting. What can we do with them? So we reached out to the publishers of all of these sites and because we were on all these lists, we were listed, but we were maybe, you know, a list of 20 to 30 tools. We were probably, you know, number eight or number nine. And we said, maybe if we could get moved up the list, that would be, we'd get more prominence and more exposure and maybe we get on more short lists. And so we reached out to all these publishers and we said, well, you know, what would it take? Would you want to look at our product? We can do a demo for you. We can talk to you about why we think we're better than some of the people above us on the list. And the the publishers all said, well, dude, if you pay us a little money, we'll make you number one. <laughs> so so here I was I, I thinking, you know, oh, this was some legitimate analyst site. No, these guys just want to make money. Right. And so, um, and, and by the way, when when I say they want to pay, they wanted like, $1,000 or $2,000 for the year. <laughs> so it was not a huge financial investment. So as a marketer, I was like, gold mine, this is the greatest thing ever. I know where all my buyers are going. It's these four websites. And I have the ability now with a very small investment to get to number one on all of these lists. Very small investment to be at the number one place that all the prospects are going to get information about our solutions. And it's, it became a no-brainer. So we paid the money. We got to be number one on all of these lists. And next thing you know, leads like were like 10x what they were the previous week because these sites were so important. And then we said, all right, so we're we're number one on all these sites. And then we said, maybe we could also rank. So then we did a lot of content to rank for that, those terms as well around best test case management tool. And the impact was amazing and it was it was fairly cost efficient. And so when I talk about, you know, getting creative and resourceful, I mean, that's it. Like you don't always have to plow all your money into, you know, Google or all these expensive sites that that charge a premium for your ad dollars. Sometimes you could find these niche sites because the, the key is understanding your buyer, understanding their journey and understanding the places where you need to be to influence them. Yeah. And you made the most out of that. You know, I think that that right there is a great example of there's not always a playbook, right? There's not a playbook that says, okay, here's what you do as a software company, your SaaS, here's the sites you're always going to go to. Here's the you know keywords you're always going to rank for. You're going to, and because I, I literally just got done with a, um, a, a podcast we did with a gentleman who had been almost 100% in PE or VC-backed startups, actually had worked with a PE firm. And uh, it was like, they have a playbook and this is what you do, right? And I think you just illustrated why there's a lot of things in the playbook that make a lot of sense, right? But you can't just say there's a formula. You can't just say, here's the way I apply it all the time, right? That would make the jobs of CMO easy. That would demote us <laughs> our overall importance. But tell me a little bit about um, one of the examples. You you told me another story of, you know, like right there, it was all about search, 
right? These guys were searching, they had certain terms and 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 then you told me a story about, you know, Google AdWords and how that would had really, really been a place you could just plow money into and one company didn't work in another. Tell us that story if you could. Sure. So I was uh, at a company called PGI. We sold web and audio conferencing software and we just had amazing results with Google search. So there were a lot of people out there looking for audio conferencing solutions, web conferencing solutions. And, you know, we, we couldn't spend enough money on those terms. And whenever we spent money, we got a ton of leads in and it was efficient and it was, it was great. And we, we got really good at optimizing our search and making sure we were uh, showing a positive ROI on all the leads that we're generating. And so, you know, I thought, great, like search is where it's at. Later on, I went to a company called Park Mobile. Park Mobile is the leading app for people to pay for parking on their phone. And I said, well, you know, this is easy. People are probably, what, what's a parking app I can use? You know, plow money into Google. Let's go more search. And let's do other digital. It's a it's an app after all. Do app store advertising. We're, we're gonna we're gonna really plow money into di the digital channels. And Steve, none of it worked. It was all we were we were totally in the red on all of our investments in that. We just couldn't get you know one. Uh, people were were clicking on the ads, but they weren't converting. It was really really inefficient. And. We said, well, all right, well, it's if it's not going to return, we have to shut it down. And so we figured, so that was an example, like you can't just take something from one category and port it over to another category. And when the Park Mobile example, um, the thing we found that really worked well with Park Mobile, and obviously it's more of a consumer business than a B2B business, but good old fashioned outdoor signs, point of purchase. So putting signs right on the parking meters when people are paying for parking, that worked a lot better than any digital advertising we did. So I think I think the idea of a playbook is good, actually. You have to have kind of all the different things you can or, or should do as a marketer. But then the hard work is really figuring out, all right, what's working and what doesn't in the playbook. It's like if you're a if you're a football team and your playbook has all these running plays and you go to the game, you start running the ball and you get stopped and stopped and stopped. All right. We're not going to run anymore. We're going to pass the ball. Right? <laughs> and so the idea of a playbook is good. And it's great to have all these different tactics and different ideas and different tools that you should try. But really the, the great marketers out there are able to figure out, all right, how do I adapt this playbook for this company in this industry in a way that's going to make the most impact? And, and so the great marketers I've worked with do that. The marketers who generally have less success and get fired um, take the playbook and try to just run the same plays at every different company they go to. And I have found that doesn't work because every company is a little bit different. Every industry is a little bit different. Every buyer persona is going to be a little bit different in what they need and the type of journey they're on. So you got to really be flexible in your approach. You got to try a lot of things, figure out what works, what doesn't uh, for your company and for your business. And don't just think because it worked at my last company, it's going to work at this company. Yeah, I, I I like the football analogy because you, you've always got the coach with the headphones on and the clipboard and everything. Like there's a tremendous amount of plays to run. Different teams you run different plays against other teams, right? Because your your opponent is different, and in a different company and different market segment, different customer base, it just makes sense that they're not going to be the same. But tell me a little bit about 
this is something which is interesting because you and I talked about it right before we hit the record button. Um, I just had a, a, a CEO, this gentleman, tremendous, you know, Harvard grad, three-time CEO, um, actually worked um, for a number of years with CMOs in his target audience in a MarTech company. And he was talking about the importance of just staying in touch with the customer and understanding the customer insights. And, and then he was tagged and I was tagged on this post by this gentleman who said, I reach out to marketing departments all the time. And he does research for, for companies. And he said, it's amazing. I'll ask for a list of customers that I can talk to. And the marketing teams are scrambling to get a, a list together of customers that are people that they know that they could refer and recommend, right? That their name would mean something. And it's just, that was just amazing to him, right? That the marketing team was so disenfranchised, so separated from the actual customer base. So I know that was an area like customer insights was a, an area in this kind of hockey stick growth that is an area you cannot afford to overlook. But what's what's your point of view on that? Well, if, you, if the marketing team is never talking to customers, you need to fire the, fire the marketing team. I mean, that's that is a dereliction of, of duty. I mean, your job as a marketer and a marketing leader should be to like be connected at the hip with your customers. Uh, in, in many ways, uh, the marketing department needs to be the voice of the customer within the organization as a whole, advocating for the customer, right? And so it's it's just critical. You're constantly talking to customers. You're constantly getting the feedback. And I'm not talking about looking at NPS scores or just survey data, but actually talking to customers and, and really understanding what their needs are. What do they like about your product? What don't they like about your product? What are things that are uh, challenging for them just in their world that maybe your product can't even address, but just understanding their world. And so that is really critical to the job of, of a marketing department. You know, I, I came up in my career through um, big ad agencies. Uh, so my first job was at Saatchi and Saatchi working on Procter & Gamble brands. I worked on Tide laundry detergent. And I learned a ton in that job. And the thing that always stuck with me, uh, and this was a, a philosophy that uh, Procter & Gamble had, uh, the consumer is boss. Like, like the consumer is boss. And I've always, that's always stuck with me uh, because when you think about your marketing and your advertising, it's it's got to connect to that consumer. And if it doesn't, um, you have a real problem as a business. If you're just putting products out or doing marketing campaigns and you have zero visibility into whether or not your customers are going to like this product or they're going to respond to this marketing campaign, you're really not doing your job uh, as a marketing department for the company. And so it's just a critical part of the way you know marketing teams have to operate. You just have to stay connected. And there are a lot of ways to do this actually today. And it's probably easier today than it has been in the past because of all the digital tools. But I I still think the best thing to do is just pick up the phone and talk to customers on a weekly basis. And, you know, I like survey data is great. There's lots of ways to get feedback, but just kind of staying in touch, um, really talking to them, having conversations. What do you like? What don't you like? Uh, that's still key. And the other thing I, I, I really like to do is go to trade shows still. I know a lot of marketers... Uh, and, and CEOs also are, are kind of sour on trade shows because of the expense. But in this virtual world we're in, it's great to actually be in front of customers, actually be in front of people 
and talk to them and build those relationships. Uh, so, so, you know, I think you just gotta, you gotta make the time as a marketing leader and as a marketing team to invest in getting those insights out of your customers, whether it's phone calls, Zoom meetings, advisory boards are a great, uh, a great way to get a lot of feedback, but it's just, it's just super critical to the business is really understanding your customer and, and their, and the insights related to those customers. And those weekly touch points, when do those stop? When do you have enough? Never. Yes. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, Steve, I mean, you can't have enough touch points and you can't get enough feedback. And and it's not that you volume is the most important thing. And But the, the key thing I found is there's sort of a, you know, one of the jobs is the marketing team is to get all this input and then to distill it down to something that you can actually use. So it's not just about getting lots of feedback, but it's about getting the feedback and then starting to figure out, all right, they all said this, and that's really interesting. Or they're all having an issue with this, and that should inform our product roadmap. And so it's really, it's not just about the conversations and the relationships, but it's about talking to enough people that you really understand the common challenges that the businesses that you're trying to kind of connect with, they face. So then you can do marketing programs and messaging that that kind of responds to those. And then you, just as important, you're, you're helping your product team figure out what the roadmap is so you can build more products that are going to solve your customers' problems. Yeah, you just you just took away my my next question, which is this is applications far beyond, you know, the marketing department itself, product development, customer success, also sales, right? You know, you're what I love is having enough conversations where you're getting consistency, kind of like a through line, a trend. They're like, okay, hey, they're all struggling here, right? They all really like this here. And those are tremendous insights for the sales team as well, right? And so this is then the role of, I always talk about it and you talked about it here, that the customer is the highest authority in the business. So the CMO, the marketing team can be the representation of who's the boss, right? To all the different departments. Talk about, you know, the, the constant struggle with alignment between marketing and sales and, and different teams and different things like that. This is a way that you're an added value service to the rest of the company, right? And, and I think that that just speaks volume. But sales and marketing alignment was an area that you wanted to talk about in terms of it's hard to get hockey stick growth, right? If you're just throwing MQLs over the wall and like I did my job, right? So tell us a little bit about kind of your your philosophy on, on that alignment with sales and marketing. Yeah, and my belief is that if if sales is not successful, marketing is not successful. And early in my career, I, I was in, I, I worked in some organizations where there were real silos between sales and marketing, like, like the head of sales and the head of marketing did not like each other at all. And that makes it pretty challenging as an organization. And I, I remember one of uh, our QBRs with the CEO, the, the head of, you know, our head of marketing got up there and talked about all this great stuff we're doing and all these leads we're driving and increases in awareness. And 
you know, basically got off the stage and dropped the mic and it was, was very proud of himself. And then the head of sales got up and said, well, we don't have any leads. We're going to miss our number. It's a terrible quarter. We're all getting fired. And, and so, and I sat there, I was like, wow, we couldn't be less aligned as, as an organization. Marketing is sitting here thinking we're crushing it and sales is over here struggling and they all think they're going to get fired. Um, something is very wrong in that scenario. And it really showcased for me the importance of, of that alignment, because what I thought about in that meeting was, wow, we just spent a ton of money over the last quarter, a ton of money, and it did nothing to help our sales team. Like we thought it was good, but it did nothing to help our sales team. Uh what 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 did we do wrong? And so at one point in my career, I had um, I was given a sales team. Uh, I was running marketing, but they said, Jeff, we're going to give you the sales team as well. And so then I had sales and marketing under me. And uh, the first thing I learned was when you run a sales team, you get a quota, which isn't sometimes is good and isn't always good. Uh, but but running sales and marketing together, I realized there was no option for those teams not to be aligned. So I had a marketing director and a sales director. And I basically forced them to talk every day to see what they were seeing. And so every day you pick up the phone, what, you know, how are the leads, what's happening and oh, really good leads today. Like, oh, we turned on this new campaign. It must be working. Or some days they have a conversation. We just got a bunch of spammy leads. What's going on? And they're like, oh, we were trying this new thing. It must be producing spammy leads. Let's turn that off and reallocate that money to another, another tactic. And the impact of that was that you're essentially optimizing campaigns in real time on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're, you're being very, very efficient with your spend. You're not waiting to the end of the quarter or the end of the year to do a retrospective on what you just spent to see if it was, if it worked, you're actually doing that every day. And you're, you're turning off tactics that are producing bad leads or spammy leads, and you're reallocating that money into high-performing tactics. And think about that impact over the course of a year by doing that on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You're getting much more efficient with your marketing investment. And then you can go back to your CFO and your CEO and say, hey, you know, look at this, look at these results. And you have the sales guys attached at the hip with you saying, yeah, give marketing more dollars <laughs> because they're spending it in the right place and they're generating real results and we're closing the deals that they're sending us. And so that's the kind of alignment that's really important. I I've found that marketing could really, really help sales. Now, now salespeople don't always agree with that. So oh, I know how to sell. I don't need marketing support. No, marketing can really help sales get better through giving them the right competitive assets, through giving them the right talk tracks and messaging. And so those functions have to work. They have to be connected at the hip. And so it's just, it's a critical part of the way I work. I wouldn't, I would never join a company that where marketing and sales were misaligned and they never talked. I mean, you really have to have those functions working together and collaborating almost on a daily basis. So you're maximizing the results you can drive out of both channels. That makes perfect sense. I I actually, a couple of months ago, did a, a podcast with a, a woman who was a um, an analyst at Forrester and then went out and she and her partner went out as a sales and marketing team to consult with Forrester clients. And she said, I can tell if this team is going to be successful in the first hour of my conversation, because I can assess whether or not that person and that person sees value in what the other does. 
And that's kind of like the bottom line of what you were just talking about here, right? Is working together and the value that each brings in order to create the success in the sales department. Uh, I've got uh, two questions. First one is, um, there's a lot in B2B marketing with content, right? It's the fuel, it's, you know, it, there is no demand gen without content, like so put a number of different ways. In your mind, if I were to ask you just to, on a scale of one to 10, the importance of content in the overall growth and success of the business, one, not important at all, 10, it's vital to the growth and success of the business. How would you answer that question? What rating and why? I, it's it's a great question. I, I do think it depends on the company. I mean, back to my earlier point around not every playbook will apply to every company you work in. So I'll, I'll give you two examples. One, if I were going to work in a MarTech company as the CMO, it's not that content isn't important in that company, but it's very daunting because you have a category where there's almost too much content. And so in that case, the question you have to ask yourself is, can I create content that's unique and differentiated so I could actually stand out? Um, and if I can't, maybe I have to do some other things. So certain categories where there's just tons and tons of content, it may not work as well, but I'll speak for the company I'm at right now. Um, it's a 10 out of 10. Content has really helped build this company, uh, Greenlight Guru, from, from the ground up. Uh, we are uh, seen as the thought leader in the industry. Actually, someone, uh, a customer said to me once uh, that before he started working with us and using our software, he thought we were a media company. He didn't even think we were, uh, he thought we were educational resource. He didn't really know we had software. And so, because at the beginning, when they started this business, they said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to be a content thought leader to the industry. And that's always been really in the DNA of the company. And if you do that at the beginning, especially in an industry like ours, where there's not as much content and you have people out there who are really hungry for content. So that's the key. If you are in an industry where that's underpublished and you have a really content hungry base that's where you just have to, it's going to be a 10 out of 10. And that's where as a marketer, you could really differentiate your business by having high quality content uh, that's produced on a frequent basis that really connects with uh, the people that work in the industry. And the example I'll, I'll give from Greenlight Guru is that about three years ago, we started a podcast. It's called the Global Medical Device Podcast. So Greenlight Guru is in the medical device uh, vertical space. And we just talked to people in the medical device industry about, you know, various topics. And so we've had you know, almost 400 episodes of the podcast. Uh, we do an episode every week and uh, the podcast gets about, um, as soon as we drop it within the first week, it gets 5,000 people listening to it. Uh, on an annual basis, it'll get almost a half a million total listens. And so you have, and it's the number one podcast in the entire industry for medical devices. And so we created this amazing channel for us. And it's all, it's, it's not, a, you know, we'll do kind of talk a little bit about Greenlight Guru um, and we'll promote ourselves a bit in the podcast, but that's not the main driver of the podcast. So it's, um, it's amazing when you have that kind of channel. Now you can't do it overnight. You have to 
it's an investment, but it is so powerful. And, and, you know, we have people coming up to us all the time saying that, well, I, I don't have your software, but I listen to your podcast every week. And so you think about that, uh, if you can build that kind of um, powerful content, it really just, it does, uh, you know, does amazing things for your business overall. So, so I'm, I'm a big believer in, in content. Like I said before, it kind of sometimes depends on the category. Uh, but um, yeah, I think, you know, most categories, most industries are generally underpublished for content. So if you produce high quality content that has a point of view and, and you could really, you could really uh, connect with a lot of people. And I think that's probably one of the things and one of the challenges of a, of a CMO is that every B2B business these days, it used to be 20 years ago, you're publishing content and trade journals and different things. And, but everybody has a content team these days. Right. Everybody's trying to produce content. So the, the competition to your point of producing really high quality content, the bar has risen quite a bit, which means a lot of companies kind of default to product marketing, which is absolutely needed. But to your point, like they thought you were a media company, right? To have a trusted advisor expert status in the industry before somebody even knows what you do, this is out of studies, right? Is actually as important as the product that you create. And so, you know, I think the the takeaway here that I have from what you just said is our goal is to, if most categories, most industries, you know, can benefit significantly from good content, then that's got to be one of the, the goals that the, the CMO has for the business in how do we up our game in that, in that respect. Yeah. But, yeah. And I, I think the other thing, Steve, too, it's, it's trying to figure out, you know, because content's not easy to produce, right? It, it takes time you know, quality content, you know, it's not as easy as, you know, a chat GPT prompt. You, you really, you know, you really have to spend the time and energy to figure out what your audience wants and then build high quality content for that audience. Um, but I, I think marketers really need to figure out what, what lane they're going to be in and where's the opportunity in the category, right? So maybe, uh, you're in a category where there's already 20 podcasts. So maybe you let, you don't go the podcast route, you know, but there's not a ton of primary research. So maybe you're, you become more of a research source and you're doing really interesting surveys and studies on the industry. That could be an angle. Um, or you're just really good on best practices related to your category. And so you really lean in there. So just like everything else, it's figuring out sort of what you're, angle is? Where do you think you can invest your resources, your content resources that are going to provide the biggest return for the business? And it's not, you know, boiling the ocean when it comes to content. It's not like, okay, here's everything we can do from a content perspective. We're going to, so we're going to have a podcast and we're going to have a webinar series and we're going to have all these eBooks and we're going to have a blog and we're going to have research studies. And, you know, you will never get all of that done. <laughs> it's just, it's too much stuff. Um, so my recommendation would be kind of figure, figure out your lane and then just go all in on that. Right. So maybe it is, you know, Hey, we want to have a great podcast or, Hey, we're going to do this webinar series that we think is going to be really high impact. Um, so don't do too many things because you're probably not going to have the resources to do too many things, but find something that you could really do. You could really own and then go all in there from a content perspective rather than boiling the ocean. I think that. I think that's a great takeaway. Um, 
there's so much we've 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 covered here and i really appreciate jeff you coming on and sharing all of your insights um if if people had a follow-up conversation or question for you would a, a link to your linkedin profile be the best way to get a hold of you yeah yeah i'm very active on linkedin so uh, everyone should come and see me there fantastic well jeff thank you again for coming on and sharing everything that you have today Great. It's great to be with you, Steve. Thanks so much for having me.